Hello everyone and welcome to the Stephen King cast, one man's musings on the works of Stephen King. Each week I'll review one entry in the bibliography of Stephen King in the chronological order of publication and this week I am continuing my revisitation of Stephen King's publication of short stories, his first publication of short stories, 1978's Night Shift. I am sticking with the stories within Night Shift even though I have finally, after three years, uh, finally concluded my review of all the stories within Night Shift. I am now turning my attention to the movie adaptations of the short stories of Night Shift, the ones that I haven't covered already, which brings us to today, Graveyard Shift. I'm very excited to talk about Graveyard Shift, as this is a movie I have never seen before. I will talk about my my history with Graveyard Shift and um, what it means to me, um, and then what my experience was watching it for the first time. But first, uh, there is some some Stephen King fandom news that I want to get out of the way. Uh, the first of which, talking about. Uh, adaptations based on the short stories found within the Night Shift collection. I am very excited to promote an upcoming film um, that is currently in in production. It is the um, film based on the Night Shift short story, One for the Road. Um, and I didn't review it um, in, in last week's episode because I had covered One for the Road in my original review of Night Shift, which I just re-released, not um, not this previous episode, but the one before it. So if you want to hear my thoughts on the short story, One for the Road, you can definitely check it out there. Um, but this is a movie that is ripe for adaptation because at its heart, it's a very simple horror story. Um, it is one that is filled with, with dread. Um, it allows the, the, the filmmaker a lot of control over the, 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 the tone and the characters and writer-director uh, Josh Brooker um, and I have been in contact um, and I have great faith in his abilities and I think that this is definitely um, one to look out for. So if you want more information um, regarding One for the Road, <laughs> You might be able to hear one of my dogs back there. They're making their grand return to the Stephen King cast. Um, so if you want more information on, on One for the Road, you can head on over to onefortheroad2018.com. That's the official website, but you can also follow it on uh, on Facebook. Uh, just do a search for uh, One for the Road movie, and it'll come up. So if you uh, follow it and you like it, you will, you'll get a lot of information from, from Josh, who... Uh, you know, has, has been able to put out some videos, um, behind the scenes videos on, on what, uh, the scouting locations are, are looking like as he, as he gets ready to, to film the actors. So it's exciting stuff. And, um, I'm in a fortunate position where I'm going to be able to give you all updates. So follow me, um, on, on Instagram, follow me on Twitter, follow me on, on Facebook, certainly. And when I hear news, I will be able to, to give you news in real time. And I'll definitely be able to continue to promote it here on the Stephen King cast. So keep your eyes open for, for One for the Road, because um, if you like vampires and vampires uh, related to uh, to Salem's Lot, then then keep your eyes open for, for One for the Road. Um, also, uh, I as I have been, I want to continue to plug um, the coolest Stephen King t-shirt site online. If you like Stephen King and you like pretty dope t-shirts, then um, head on over to http 
uh, colon backslash um, ka-tet19.net or just do a Google search for ka-tet t-shirts and we'll come up. Uh, the guys over there do phenomenal work. Uh, there, if you, and it's not just for for the Dark Tower. I mean, there there is a Pet Cemetery T-shirt. There is a Shining T-shirt. Um, there is a, a a Losers Club T-shirt. So there there's definitely um, a, a lot of of options for you to, to to choose from outside of the world of Dark Tower. But there are just fun, very very clever uh, t-shirts for, for like true diehard tower junkies that if you're walking down the street with a, a Hey Jude t-shirt and it's the, the Cotet walking across Abbey Road, no one's going to understand what that is except you and any other dark tower junkie that, that walks past you. Or if you are walking down the street with the, the Ka symbol on your shirt, no one's going to get it. No one's going to get it if you're walking around with a, a Dixie Pig logo. It just looks like the logo to like a, like a like a fan, not a fancy, but like a um, indie or or hipster kind of joint. Like it, it looks great. Or a Nozala t-shirt. Like there, there's so much Sheb Saloon. There are so many t-shirts to choose from that are just cool. That are just they just look good. And then it has the the extra bonus of of being inspired by the works of Stephen King. So um, it is. We are in the middle of summer. It is t-shirt season. So you all should be rocking these t-shirts. Head on over to. Um, ka-tet19.net and you will not be disappointed I, I i assure you that you will like what matt is putting out um it's really really good work um i get really excited i follow him on on instagram because he's able to give updates and um every now and then he'll he'll give like a little uh snapshot of something that he's working on and it just it gets me excited so um if you like Stephen King, if you like The Dark Tower, and if you like t-shirts, then ka-tet19.net is the place for you. So head on over there. And then when I get, um, when I purchase and procure my my next batch of t-shirts, um, because every day is a struggle not to waste my entire paycheck. And it wouldn't be a waste. It wouldn't be a waste. But I, um, but it, it is a struggle not to spend my entire paycheck on, on the t-shirts uh, there. So uh Head on over there, and I keep forgetting to, to, to mention this. Not only do you get your T-shirts, <clears throat> but um, you also get a tote bag and a um, oh my, what are they called? They are called bookmarks. <laughs> well, I don't know why I blanked on that, but a tote bag um, and a uh, and a bookmark as well. So I mean, they're 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 really generous uh, and they're very creative, and they're fans of Stephen King, doing really really good work. So they too should be recognized, and I just want to continue to push business their way because they do really really good work. Up next, um, I have a review from iTunes, and as you guys know, and I I, I beg you every week, um, if you have a few minutes on your hands, uh, please head on over to iTunes because. Any words that, that, that you give will really help out the, the Stephen King cast. So up first, we have from the Purple Card Man, King Lover's Dream. My infatuation for the story It led me to randomly search Stephen King in my podcast app. I've listened to a few similar podcasts, and yours is by far the best. I've already listened to all of your episodes of books I have read so as to not spoil other endings. Your in-depth analysis of each book is able to bring me back to the time I first read each novel. It's like a one-on-one book club with the the subject always Stephen King. It's a King lover's dream. I find myself eager to reread each book after I've listened to its episode. 
um, in which I have for the Green Mile and plan on rereading It with the movie coming out in a couple months. I've listened to your three reviews of It multiple times as well as your It trailer episode. Like you and so many other King readers, It was the one that hooked me at such a young age. The only two gripes I have with the podcast is one, you don't give spoiler warnings. I avoid episodes that I haven't read, but even in other episodes, you sometimes give away endings to other books. I find myself skipping ahead too often, so I am not robbed of a good story later. Two, I feel the negative qualities of certain characters hold too big an influence on your tone of an episode, such as Jerome in Mr. Mercedes and the gangbang in It. These are the only negative things I can think of. Your calming voice and love for Stephen King make for a wonderful way to get through my workday. I hope you choose to start other podcasts as I, along with many other King fans, will miss your antics. We're like one big family under the dome. One we'll never see but are familiar with all because of Stephen King and yourself. Thank you for the countless hours of therapeutic entertainment. So Purple Card Man, thank you. That was a like ridiculously kind um, iTunes review. And just a, a, a couple couple thoughts. Um, one, the, the spoiler warning, I am, I am really trying to be cognizant of that. And I am guilty as charged of just forging ahead and just ignoring um spoiler warnings um for for anyone that hasn't read all the stephen king works my rationale i guess if you want to call it a rationale but i I, the the reason why i did is because when i was reading everything in the chronological order of publication and i would read one book and i would review it and then move on to the next for whatever reason my 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 mental track um just believed that everyone was just following me in real time and following me uh, along the same journey, which was ridiculous. And then I, you know, I, I never thought that I would really build up enough episodes and actually get through the entire chronology of Stephen King where people could go and just find the episode that they want to listen to. Um, so I never thought of it on, on the macro level. I always thought about my show on an episode-to-episode level. Um, so I completely apologize. I'm trying to be a lot more um, conscientious of that. So um, everyone listening, call me out if I do if I do slip and give a spoiler because I can't stand when I get spoiled on something, um, and I don't want to ruin any of these moments for for anyone out there. That's not my place to do so if you aren't looking for it. Um, number two, you, you mentioned two negative qualities of certain characters holding too big an influence um, on my tone of an episode. Um, now I will say. The gangbang and it, I, I, I still fundamentally believe that it is such a, um, I can't believe I'm, I'm going, I'm getting back to this, uh, but the, I just feel that it is just such a tone deaf and just, just wrong. It, it's just, it is, it is just a, a misunderstanding of the, 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 the tone and the, the actuality of what's happening in that moment. Um, I, I just think that it really casts a, a negative spell on, on that book. Um, I think that's probably one of the, the, the most, um, the biggest missteps that King has made as a writer. Um, with that said, I mean, it is still my, my favorite book of all time. I mean, it is, it does not detract from the greater qualities of that book, but if someone did read that book and was so turned off by that particular moment and decided to never read Stephen King again, I would not blame them for doing so, um, because they of course don't have the context of the other work that he has done, but I truly understand anyone that is very upset at at what occurs in that scene. I just think that it is just not okay. 
Um, Jerome, I've been thinking about a lot, um, and I've been thinking about that that slave voice that that Jerome does, and and just the fact that Bill Hodges has such a problem with it. I came down on it during my review of Mr. Mercedes. And as you know, I'm not a fan of Mr. Mercedes um, at all. I like Finders Keepers, um, and I am so-so on, on End of Watch. I, I, was, I really wish that they, he, he had called it the Suicide Prince, but whatever. Uh, but Mr. Mercedes I did not like. And one of my issues was, was Jerome. And when I read Jerome, I was reading Jerome with... It's something that was just sticking with me as far back as, as you know, it really was pronounced in um, uh, in, in The Shining, I believe, uh, with Dick Holleran, maybe? Um, I don't know, but the, the as far back in early Stephen King, he would do a, um, a, a very dialect-heavy um, uh, characterization of, of certain black characters, um, very much so with, with Detta Walker. Uh, in 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 drawing of the three. So uh, these these things stuck with me, and 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 not just these these dialectical issues, but but also just people would just become racist in his book, and he would use racism to make us just dislike that character even more. Like, and and to me, it, it was just shining a spotlight on 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 racist qualities that I don't know if were necessary to really get the heart of why we didn't like that character in the first place. So by the time I get to Jerome, um, and Jerome is is putting on this affectation, and he's, you know, I mean, it, and it's, he is not a, a slave, and he is a highly intelligent young man um, from, you know, a, like a good family. Um, I, I just, I, I, where I came from as a reader at that time, I bristled at it. Looking back now with some distance, um, I, I, I actually am, am starting to turn on the, my original take on Jerome as a character, especially because we, we get so much from his sister. And King, I believe, I mean, I'm speaking as a, as a white male, I don't really know what it's like to be um, you know, a, a black teenage girl. But I, I think that King did really, really good work, from my perspective, of placing us in the shoes of what that experience must be and having her blackness judged, which I know is a thing. It's one that I've never had to experience, but I understand it. No, I don't understand it. I understand that it exists. And I think that King, being the empathetic writer that he is, placed himself as much as he could in, in that... Um, in, in her shoes and really wrote the experience as much as he could being a um, middle-aged white male. And I think that he did a really good job and I thought that it was really nuanced and it made me rethink Jerome as a character himself and Bill's rejection of Jerome's, um, you know, slavey, slave time voice uh, and persona that, that he would give and the fact that Bill really hated it, part of me wonders if that's, you know, Bill Hodges, who is roughly Stephen King's age, if he is looking at at the, this character who is a fully fleshed out, three-dimensional character and is speaking like, not unlike some of Stephen King's um, black characters, and it, it, it's Stephen King refuting how he once had written these characters as he writes, like I said, a nuanced, three-dimensional black young man. Um, so I'm coming around on Jerome and, um, 
I don't know, with uh, Mr. Mercedes coming around the corner as a show on AT&T. What, what, I don't even know what that is. But, uh, <laughs> but um, with that coming around, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. And um, the footage that I've seen, actually, I don't want to say it's got me excited, but it's making me be a little bit more open-minded to Mr. Mercedes. So... Um, Purple Card Man, thank you for, uh, with this, with your, your words. I mean, you, you made me kind of rethink some of my, my stances here, um, on, uh, that I've taken, um, in the past with some of Stephen King's, um, characters. And then we have show slash book fan writes, the best Stephen King podcast. I've been a constant listener of this podcast for well over a year, and there isn't a better King podcast out there. I've even went back and read a couple of King's books just so I could listen to the podcast review. The reviews are very thorough. Until yesterday, I had not even heard of Wendy's Button Box, but since the Stephen King cast posted the latest review, I had to order the novella on Amazon. Like the podcaster with no name, I am also a huge Dark Tower junkie, and I have loved all the Dark Tower bonus episodes discussing connections between the works. Even though he never gives his name, you feel like you're talking to an old buddy when you listen to the show. If you're a King fan, you must listen to this podcast. Don't stop with just the novel reviews. The movie and television episodes are also a lot of fun. I nearly choked on my Pepsi when I listened to the review of the Langoliers miniseries. Also, check out the episode about the SK Tours in Bangor. I took the tour myself, and it is awesome. It is easily a five-star podcast. Um, So, show slash book fan, thank you so much. Um, And yeah, guys... uh, you know, I, I've I've had bonus episodes throughout my run, and if you haven't listened to the the Stephen King um, tours in in Bangor, which appropriately enough comes at, at the end of my um, my review of it, so I'm sticking with Dairy, which is really really appropriate, seeing as how Bangor is the the, the inspiration for Dairy. Really listen to it because Stu does such a great job, um, and his. His just way of being and his personality and how personable the, the man is. He He's like a Stephen King character. And you learn so much about the man whose books you love so much. And you realize just what a philanthropist and what a down-to-earth guy Stephen King is. And think about all of the money he's made from the books and the rights to his movies. And the fact that he and Tabitha decided to stay in Bangor because that's where they were when, you know, when he, he made it big. They had decided that Bangor was going to be their home. So they decided to stay in Bangor and they did what they could to just throw money into the town as much as possible to make the town that they live in worth living for everyone that lives there. From the the, the library, I believe the hospital, the Little League field um, where Stephen King brought in uh, you know, a designer of major league baseball fields to, to work on it. Um, I mean, it's, it really just shows the humanity of the King family. And, uh, you just get, and not only do you learn about Stephen King, but you see all of these points of inspiration, um, for recognizable locations that you'll spot within all of Stephen King's works. So it's, it's definitely well worth it. I mean, it's easier for people that live on the, the East Coast, certainly. But, I mean, even if you're traveling from far away, there's so much to do on the East Coast, um, especially in Maine itself. I mean, so spend a day in Bangor and then drive a few hours uh, south to, to Wells or a, an hour or so north to, to Bar Harbor, and you won't 
you know, you, you'll enjoy Maine. There's a lot to do. So, um, so I would recommend heading out to Maine um, for for a number of reasons, um, but but definitely to check out uh, SK Tours. Now, guys, I want to talk about some Stephen King news um, because there's definitely some news to talk about. Um, so the last episode that I released was um, last Monday, and I had recorded the episode the, the night before, and I released it on Monday. And, of course, on after I recorded it and the day I was releasing this episode, Sony dropped the second Dark Tower trailer. So I was just like, oh, of course. The, when I release this episode, I am now releasing on the same day, and my when I eventually get around to it, my thoughts are, aren't going to be as fresh. So um, I'm not going to do an entire episode on the Dark Tower trailer the way that I did for the first one, because that, that first one, I had so much to say. Um, and it, it was special seeing Dark Tower footage for the first time, right? Now we've lived with it for a while. Um, our, te- our expectations have been tempered a little bit, I believe. And I just wanted to give the story of how we got to that first part um, of, of that trailer when, when it was released. Now that we have less than a month away, um, three, three weeks from the, the, the Dark Tower movie, which is insane to think about, they've released a, a trailer. So the tower is closer, guys. The tower is closer. The 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 trailer. Um, if the tower is closer, the trailer itself is also shorter than the previous trailer. Um, there's not a lot of new footage. Um, so I mean that that's the thing is that when I reviewed the first trailer, I just went through frame by frame and I just talked about everything because everything, like I said, was fresh. So one thing that I will, I'm not sold on this trailer. Some people online are really saying some good things. And so that that leads me that I'm glad I'm not going to try and take that away from you. I think that that's great. And I wish that I had that your enthusiasm for this trailer. Um, I have some qualms about the first trailer, but I'm still that first trailer still got me really, really excited. But one thing that in this trailer, the previous trailer and some of the, the little featurettes that that have um, peppered online and, you know, you know, television one thing that is undeniable that I, I really have to give Nikolai Arcel so much credit for, all the credit in the world, is he understood that while he's not calling this movie The Gunslinger, and he's calling it The Dark Tower, he understands that its main character is The Gunslinger, and that that means more than just being a cowboy. It means more than just a dude that has a gun. And while we don't have giant sandalwood pistols the way... Um, Roland does in the books. They're not as big as I thought that they would be. Um, that's kind of not the point. Shooting people is this man's superpower. And he's treating it, Nikolai Arcel is treating it just like that, just like a superpower. The gunplay and the things that Roland is able to do with his guns, how he's able to fire, how he's able to reload, how he's able to aim and shoot, um, he looks like the most the, the the deadliest person that's ever lived um and it really makes it it kind of makes him terrifying the fact that if he wants to kill you with his gun it doesn't matter where you are he's gonna do it it's really really impressive and you're seeing things that i've never seen before when it comes to um gunplay um so i'm very very excited for no other reason than seeing that take place on screen because it looks really really awesome another thing that is is really really cool and i I posted this um on instagram and well and twitter and facebook there is one shot of the tower guys um 
it is breathtaking it's gorgeous it is now we have seen the tower and so we've seen the tower in our mind um built on the the words of stephen king we have seen michael whelan draw the tower we have seen um i I can't remember the name of the other artists at at the time but i mean you know there hasn't been a, a a um an edition of the dark tower books that hasn't provided some picture of of the dark tower so we have seen so many versions of the dark tower in uh through the the artists working on the 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 illustrated editions of the books then we've had jay lee's art we have had um other famous comic book artists who have provided backup pieces of art within the the dark tower marvel comic books on on deviant um or DeviArt, whatever that that site is, but we have seen so much fan art for the Dark Tower. We have seen so many, many interpretations of the Tower, Um, so many interpretations that are very, very powerful and wonderful. And I will say this. There is one shot of the Dark Tower in this trailer that if nothing else, if this movie isn't good, I will just thank the the 12 guardians of the beam um and i will thank gan himself that at at the very least we got this particular shot because it really is it like i said it's breathtaking it is the the dark tower and and you just see the how massive it is because it looks like it's going forever and it's a cloud shot like it's breaking through the clouds and the camera is resting on the clouds themselves so you don't know how far below it goes so we still don't see the red fields of of canto um cancano ray but um so we haven't seen any roses yet and i don't know if they're going to give us that that particular um view but we do see just how massive this this dark tower is um and i i really do need to give nikolai arcel and whoever whoever else worked to 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 make that particular shot or this particular version of the tower it looks stunning um also in the trailer we see a ruined midworld city and i i said this in my uh review of the dark tower trailer the first one um i do believe that this ruined midworld city is the 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 glimpse it's a glimpse of the ruins of gilead um i do believe that um or maybe it's not maybe it's a a completely other other um city but it it really it's it it looks good and it does establish that this is taking place in in a different world we also see aljul siento it's on top of a plateau in the middle of nowhere which really lines up with the description of of its place in a thunderclap uh from the dark tower book seven um and from a distance uh it really like the the top it really does look like a recreation of that that suburban life with the the ticky tacky boxes of uh houses um that that we got and then noticeable is a giant uh barrel um whose mouth is is opening up towards the sky so i i assume and we see this kind of an action later on that it, it's sitting right below one of the beams and this is where the the breaker's energy is going to get channeled to to shoot upwards and attack one of the beams um and we see the the man in black and roland just taunting each other well really the man in black taunting roland there's one cool shot of him like catching a bullet behind his the, the his his neck without even turning around um 
There's a monster in the woods at one point. Um, I'm not sure if this was in the original trailer. It was in the unreleased trailer that, that came out in October that wasn't that great. Now, I believe, I believe that this monster isn't just some mutant. Um, I believe that this, that this monster that you see in the woods actually is a guardian of the beam. I would not be like it's not the turtle, uh, it is not the bear. We all know that we see Shardik in the woods in the books, but we know that because Roland has spoiler alert. See, I'm trying, guys. I'm trying because Roland has the spoiler alert horn of Eld. Uh, it means that the decisions that he is making uh, are different from what we are familiar with. I don't know how many times he's gone around um, on the wheel of Ka. This could pick up. Right when we left off with Roland, this could be 500 revolutions since we left off with Roland. So things could be drastically different. Um, this could really be his final time around, which which really really gets me excited. So what what I'm what I'm trying to say is, if we get the a guardian of the beam and it's not Shardik and it's a different guardian that is familiar enough that it makes me say, okay, this is totally from the books, but it's completely its own thing at the same time and we're seeing an aspect of this world that we never got to see within the books. Um, so that's that's my thoughts on that. Um, we see the man in black's ninja orcs uh, laying waste to a town. I'm not so fond of this, the way that they look. I think that the Cantoy are so um, stylistically impressive and unique i don't think that we we see that that garish quality um too often uh, or ever really so i i wish that they were wearing the the loud clothes uh we don't see that we see them dressed as like like i said ninja orcs i'm not i'm not a fan of that um you know, maybe they're vampires, maybe they're Tahin. I would love to see them with just like bird faces or rat faces. I don't think that we're going to see that. I think that they're going to look a little generic, which is very disappointing to me. Um, at one point, we see a gunslinger's pistol lying in the dirt. Uh, the sigil of Eld is present on its barrel. I think that this is just in a flashback scene of that's going to correspond with, you know, Walter kind of just talking trash to, to Roland, and we're going to see some... El I think that's probably um, um, Stephen Deshane dying. I think that that's what, what we're going to see there. We see the North Central Positronics doorway um, that we saw in the first trailer and Roland going through that doorway. And I, I think that another thing they're doing, I love the way that New York looks. Um, and we're seeing it really through Roland's eyes. And I think that already in the trailers, they've done an effective job at juxtaposing this ruined world with the, the lights um, and, and, and um, vitality of, of our world. Um, then we see Roland and Walter having a showdown um, with Walter standing in front of one of those North Central Positronic doors. Um, and it's where we have that Roland loading the bullets as they fall from the air in the scene. And it's just awesome. We see Walter walking through a snowy tundra. Now, in all of the promotions, we have seen more of this setting than the desert, which I think is very strange. But I, I don't think, much like if, if the guardian that we, or if that, that monster that we see is a the, the rat guardian, um, it, it wouldn't be out of place to have a snowy landscape. 
okay, because in Wizard in Glass, one of the characters, Latigo, is ref is referred to as coming from um, the North. Um, and the, the, the North was, was very, it was a, a snow landscape. Um, it, it, it invoked, I believe, Nordic um, connotations. Um, and that was in Wizard and Glass. And when through the keyhole, we learned that the Lion Guardian, named Aslan, um, is in the North and just roams the, the snowy fields of the North. Um, so it's not like snowy weather is completely out of the place in the world of the Dark Tower. Again, we would just be seeing an aspect that we didn't get to see in the books but was referenced. We see the Dutch Hill Guardian attacking our heroes. Looks great, by the way. Great effects. Um, really making that, that plaster demon um, really, really come to life. We see Richard Sayre and Roland going through the window. Now, this is an, an aspect that I'm not sure how much I like. One thing that was so important about Roland's character is that he can get hurt badly, as we see him do. Spoiler alert, I'm really trying. Spoiler alert for the drawing of the three. Dude gets messed up royally, royally, by lobsters, by just monster lobsters. He gets his fingers cut off, nearly dies from a regular infection. Um, and then in Wolves of the Kala, he starts suffering from... from a bad hip so we see that that normal afflictions can do some significant damage and here we have him flying through a window and landing on the ground um and there's a scene where he says some in a in a little featurette he says to a team of doctors i'm stronger than most so you get the impression that he has like superhuman abilities which not a big fan of but whatever i'll see how it plays out um we have jake getting abducted in that scene where he focuses his ka and, and kills the, the orc. And then we have Walter's voice reminding Roland that everyone that walks with him uh, dies. And the, and the trailer concludes with Roland saying, not anymore. Now, spoiler alert for the conclusion of the Dark Tower series. Seriously, guys. This is really interesting to me. This is really, really interesting because this exchange really speaks to the idea of Roland improving himself with each journey. And it's why the Horn of Eld's presence in this movie is a great bit of continuity between the books and the film. And it would be very interesting if this is a Roland that we already know that he's cast off the Dark Tower. He is completely focused on trying to get to Walter to make him pay for the destruction of Midworld. I'm totally fine with that change. Now, if he is not so bloodthirsty, obsessed with getting to the tower, then it makes sense to me that he wouldn't need to sacrifice people in order to get to the tower. So that, to me, speaks to a softer role, which I'm totally fine for. Uh, I, I I like that. This really could be, watching this, this could be Roland's redemption. We have a little bit of the bends of the rainbow. Roland and Walter are able to talk to each other using the, the bends of the rainbow. I don't know if they're going to be called bends of the rainbow, and I don't know if they're going to be colored. We see uh, Roland talking to Walter through like a, a haze of, of green. So maybe, maybe, maybe they will be, you know, different colored. Um, I am going to assume that we're just going to get like crystal, magic crystal balls. And that's what they're going to look like. Um, and we just have cool shots, guys. Uh, you know, I will say that there are some cool shots. Like, and we see this 
very clearly with Roland Walter facing off in front of that gateway. Walter has a ball of fire. Roland is sweeping his jacket back like it's a cape and he's a superhero and we get some more awesome gun-loading action and he's firing his guns to ricochet off the walls with the bullets contacting a bundle of wires causing explosions. It's just, it just looks cool. So I hope that it is as cool as it looks. And that's, that's the trailer. That's, that's the trailer. And I don't know, we're getting closer, guys. I, I'm on record saying that I wish that the promotion was stronger. I wish that the promotion lived up to the potential of what it was one year ago started out so strong so cool so different so outside the box so forward thinking and then i don't know what happened um the how this movie just stalled really it, it it just changed how i thought about the entire movie um so i hope that when i sit down and the junkie xl score comes on and i start seeing the the images come to life and these characters that i've lived with for so long just start to breathe in front of me, I hope that I become Jake Chambers and get carried away to another world. I really, really hope that I do. Um, I am not going in so excited that I'm going to be disappointed. I, I'm going to go in with tempered expectations. It's going to be hard. And if the movie is not good, um, I, I will definitely report on it not being good. And I'll tell you why. Um, but it's going to be hard for me to, to really distance myself from the fan that read every book multiple occasions. Um, you know, it's going to be hard for me to, to distance myself from the fan who really understood, be, began to understand how to read with a purpose because of Stephen King. And so, I mean, there's a lot of me. There's a lot of me tied up in this, and I and I get it. I get when people get disappointed in 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 their fiction, and so I, I hope that I am able to really really enjoy it. Um, but I will keep you all updated on my journey along to the Dark Tower. Now we're gonna switch from the Dark Tower in Midworld. We're gonna go to Castle Rock. Hey guys, big news! Pennywise is coming to Castle Rock. Kind of. Um, let me read uh, this little bit of of news from Variety. Bill Skarsgård has been cast as a series regular in Hulu's Stephen King series, Castle Rock. The project marks the second King project for Skarsgård, who will star in the film adaptation of King's classic novel, It, as the iconic terrorizing clown Pennywise. In Castle Rock, Skarsgård will play a young man with an unusual legal problem. He joins a cast that includes Sissy Spacek, Andre, Andre Holland, Jane Levy, and Melanie Linsky. Castle Rock is described as a psychological horror drama set in the Stephen King multiverse that combines the mythological scale and intimate character storytelling of King's best-loved works, weaving an epic saga of darkness and light played out on a few square miles of Maine woodland. The fictional town of Castle Rock, Maine has served as the setting for many of King's books, including Cujo, The Dead Zone, and The Body. The series landed a 10-episode order. So I am excited about Castle Rock. I will hopefully have more news for you about Castle Rock in the upcoming weeks. Um, and I hope that there's some sort of shout-out to to it um, when Bill Skarsgård uh, shows up on, on screen. 
Now, guys, up next, I have some emails. Now, first up, we have Notorious B.I.G., a.k.a. the Hispanic Dory, uh, Danny Torrance. And uh, the Notorious B.I.G. writes, Thank you for making this podcast. I live in Chicago, but work out in the suburbs, and your great analysis has helped me on my commute. Um, saying it helps is an understatement. I started working for a new company with a substantial pay increase, but as the greatest poet of our generation once said, mo money, mo problems. With this increase in responsibilities, I found myself dreading the drive. Then I discovered your podcast. It started slowly. First, I found myself less irritated on the drive than at work, which had started to affect my home life. The next thing you know, I'm looking forward to the drive. I'm looking forward to work. When you first sat down to start the Stephen King cast, nervous in hell, I'm sure, did you ever think that you would actually be helping people? You weren't the first to help me like this. I grew up in the Humboldt Park area of Chicago during the mid-80s, early 90s. The combination of terrifying gang culture and my Ben Hanscom physique led to bullying, which sent me on a path to find a way out, even if it was in my imagination. My mom worked at my school, so the school library became my personal book collection. In first grade, I read my first novel, C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I was hooked and began looking for literature of the like-minded, fantastical variety. A book caught my attention, the cover of an illustration of a bunny rabbit in a field right up my alley, and so I read Richard Adams' Watership Down at the tender age of eight. After the initial shock of realizing I was reading something that might not have been made with my virgin eyes in mind, I quickly decided I was an adult, and the kiddie stuff would no longer do the trick. It was around this time that the TV miniseries It premiered, and my love, extreme fear of clowns had me wanting more. My mom informed me that the story came from a Stephen King novel of the same name and asked if I would want it for my ninth birthday, which was weeks away. I said yes. If anyone thinks letting a nine-year-old read a book with such adult themes is irresponsible, I totally understand, but disagree. The world I lived in was dangerous. If my mom could buy me a scary book and keep me off the streets, she would buy me just about any book I asked for. And so every year my mom got me Stephen King novels for any gift um, giving holiday that rolled by. This led to a long life and love of literature, hell, the arts that I passed on to my younger brothers, and I'm proud to say my mother raised four very intelligent artistic men. In high school, my quartet was formed when my twin brother and I met two like-minded king heads, myself, my brother Gumby, the Gordless, Lou the Punk, and Mo the Fiend, outcasts. We used king's verbiage to make fun of our oppressors. Jocks became slow mutants, teachers langoliers. Even the acts of making fun of people became shining. <laughs> i.e. he just said that you got Dort Danny Torrance's soup bowl fade. He's shining. I still say shining to this day and you can too. Okay, I went on long enough. One last thing. Stephen King, thank you for getting a chubby, scared Puerto Rican kid into reading and Stephen King cast. Thanks for getting my girlfriend to pick up a Stephen King novel for the first time. Christine. P.S. Don't even think about ending your podcast. We don't care if you change the subject. Don't stop. If anything, pick up the pace. I'm re-listening to the old podcasts like a schmuck. Notorious B.I.G., the Hispanic Dory, Danny Torrance. Um, hey, man. Thank you. Thank you. That's uh, that's really, really kind. I mean, that's a very, very thoughtful email all the way through. Um, no, I, I didn't think that I was going to affect people's lives positively negatively i hope i haven't affected anybody's lives negatively but um there have been a couple podcasts where, where people have said some like really things that have floored me so to know that i have helped um the commute um and the fact that you're looking forward to, to getting to work um and that that's helped your life that's thank you for sharing that thank you 
um, and and Stephen King, what he was able to to give you and your mom sounds awesome. Uh, so thank you so much for sharing that. That it's it's insight like that, just that you know shows that we all come from different places and different walks of life and. But you know the, the the power of Stephen King and the love of literature and it, it just it, it we're all connected in some way. So that's thank you, thank you for that that awesome reminder. Okay, guys, if you haven't done so already, head on over to StephenKingCast at Yahoo.com. Just shoot shoot me an email. Just let me know how you got into Stephen King, what your thoughts are on anything having to do with Stephen King, um, and I'll, I'll get back to you as soon as I can, and I'll share your thoughts on the air as well to continue to spread the word within our content. Okay, guys, um, now it is time to discuss Graveyard Shift. So before I begin, let me, uh, let me read the Wikipedia summary uh, so I have a basis upon which I can build my analysis. When an abandoned textile mill is reopened, several employees meet mysterious deaths. The only link between the killings is that they all occurred between the hours of 11 p.m. and 7 a.m., the Graveyard Shift. The sadistic mill foreman, Stephen Macht, has chosen newly hired drifter John Hall to help a to help a group clean up the mill's rat-infested basement. The workers find a subterranean maze of tunnels leading to the cemetery and a giant bat that hunts at night. In the end, Hal is able to kill the giant bat when it gets caught in the grinding wheels of a cotton picker and crushed to death. My review. So, um you know, there was that review that I gave of uh, Sleepwalkers. If you haven't listened to it, I had a blast. Um, I had a blast uh, watching Sleepwalkers. And um, so when I when I was watching Sleepwalkers, it, it got in my head. Okay, and I was like, I was talking to uh, my wife and a friend of ours, and I was like, listen. Listen, guys, we, I, I, you never seen Sleepwalkers? Okay, so here's what we're going to do. Um, we're going to watch Sleepwalkers, and I guarantee you that you're going to enjoy the hell out of this movie, right? So we sat down. They had a blast. The movie was so much fun. And we started, you know, talking, you know, one of the things that, you know, my friend brought up was how was a movie like this made? Because wasn't Stephen King, like, you know, this is, this is the guy that wrote The Shining, and then Stanley Kubrick made The Shining, and you know, the Dead Zone's a good movie, and, you know, the, the Carrie was a great movie, and then, and, 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 you know, I mean, so, like, wh- how could a movie like Sleepwalkers be made? And I said, yeah, I mean, he's made great movies, but by the time Sleepwalkers came out, that Stephen King brand was just being slapped on everything, and you had movies like The Lawnmower Man getting made. You had movies like Sometimes They Come Back Again getting made. You had the ABC TV miniseries being made, which really weren't that great. And you had Graveyard Shift, which I slammed in a conversation, and I hadn't seen the movie yet. Um, but that was Stephen King at at the time. There were some pretty bad Stephen King adaptations being made. Um, and there are some pretty bad Stephen King adaptations from the short story collection Night Shift um, that also include, like I said, Lawnmower Man, and Maximum Overdrive based on these short story trucks. Don't worry, guys. I will be reviewing Maximum Overdrive in the next couple of, uh, upcoming weeks. So my relationship with Graveyard Shift, I, it's, a, it's a movie I had never seen before, but it's one that I felt I had always lived with. Watching this movie really brought me back, and I think that I talked about this in the um, Sometimes They Come Back review, but I just distinctly remember being a kid 
riding my bike around my neighborhood, going to the center of my town, and heading on over to the movie store, and just, and he, oh, I'm gonna sound like that old guy, but I mean, I there's something to be said that kids, kids these days, I can't believe I just said it, but kids these days aren't gonna know what it feels like to go to a store to pick out a movie to rent and just the experience itself was part of watching the movie and you go there and you walk through the aisles and you look at the movies in the aisles and you might have kind of flagged a movie that you want to watch maybe not right now but i'm going to keep my eye on that movie and the next time i don't have something to do i'm going to head on over to the the, the movie store and i'm going to i might get that one or or oh i never saw the one next to that before and so just there's something to be said about being able to hold that vhs box in your hands and without watching that movie you have a connection because you spent time actually holding that movie and of course then there was the, the new releases that would come out and at the time in my movie store and this was not blockbuster it was a local movie movie um rental place they had these little flyers right by the, the the entrance and they were free and you could take them and it gave an update on upcoming movies and in, in the in the rental um store and you know what to watch out for like what was what had just come out what was going to coming out you know and because i was a, a horror fan i and a Stephen King fan, I, I knew I knew about Graveyard Shift, and I just always associate that with with home movies. And I know it was released in a theater, but my it just being on VHS is just what I remember Graveyard Shift to be. And all of the time I had spent watching movies growing up, and all of my many many hours being a Stephen King fan, I never touched Graveyard Shift until recently, and. I was about to say it was a treat, but not really, you know, um, really wasn't that great an experience. So the movie itself, we, we get the establishment of the setting. We have sweaty workers and giant machines. And for a second, you might think that this movie is going to just cross over with the mangler. Um, now, our first victim seems to be unaware of the rats. He's more interested in punching his hand into a nail. Um... And I rewatched this scene three times, and I just, I, I, I don't know what is going on. I, I, it's only when he's cleaning up his hand when he spots the first rat, which he names Doris. Seconds later, he realizes he's surrounded. And much like the cats and sleepwalkers, these little guys are just cute. Like, they're not disgusting. They're not villainous or threatening. They're just kind of cute little rats. Um... And he starts taunting the rats. He grabs one of them by the tail. He feeds it into the machine so the other rats can see. And just as he's about to throw another rat into the machine, he's engulfed by a massive shadow. When he turns, he's so shocked, he flies backwards into the machine where he's chewed to pieces and his, feet, his bits feasted upon by the many rats. It's an awful beginning. I don't know if it's supposed to be scary. It's not. I don't know if it's supposed to be funny. It's not. Um, it's just, it's cheesy, it's over the top, it's not great. Then we get our credits, full of mist and streams, sunken graveyards, which all leads to Brad Dourif, Charles Lee Aday himself, Grieva Wormtongue, 
as the man known as the Exterminator. Now, he is dressed like a wrestler stuck with a freedom fighter from the future shtick. So actually, he kind of looks like a... Um, kind of looks like he should be like in the running man um and he's time traveling back to to the graveyard shift um and he begins to 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 pump the 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 rats out from the mill then we meet our hero john hall as he gets off his bus and he's ogled by the women glared at by the men then he meets his boss warwick played by the only way i can describe it stephen mocked he just looks like the poor man's Eric Roberts. I, and he comes with this, oh, like, exquisite main accent that is so captivating, okay? Like, they, they as they talk, they meet for the first time and they're talking, but I could not focus on a single thing that they were saying because I could not... Stop focusing on whatever the hell Stephen Mocked was doing with his voice. It was like fluctuating between Fred Gwynn's accent from Pet Cemetery with like lofty British aristocracy. And this movie is all over the place. And it's not a great movie, but I am fully in on this accent. As ridiculous as it is, this movie is worth watching just to watch every scene with Stephen Mock, just to hear this accent. Um, you know, he commits to this thing full bore, full. Like, he is not giving, like, 10% here. He is giving 110%, and he fails spectacularly at this accent. Don't get me wrong. It is not good, but it is so worth watching, and I give him credit for at least doing something interesting with this role because the same cannot be said about John Hall, um, who is just blandy Mick nothingness. Uh, he, he's just, he's, he's a non-character. He's just nothing. And he just drifts from scene to scene. Um, and then on his first night in the graveyard shift. Hey, that's the name of the show. Hall meets Tucker Cleveland, the exterminator, Brad Dourif. Um, I don't know, guys. Maybe it's the dangling earring. Maybe it's the chewing tobacco. Maybe it's the intense stare. Maybe it's the fingerless gloves. Maybe it's the netted shirt. Maybe it's the ponytail. Maybe it's the threat of shooting rats with a gun held in an ankle holster. Maybe it's the crazy Vietnam rant. Maybe it's the out of left field Bruce Dern diss. Maybe it's the tear that trickles down Duraf's cheek. Maybe it's just because he looks like a Kyle Mooney character. Maybe it's the fact that Tucker Cleveland has an origin story involving the Viet Cong for his profession. Maybe it's some of these things, but really, it's all of these things that makes Brad Dourif the highlight of this movie. The scene where he meets Hall leads to a 4 minute, 39 second long monologue in which he provides the thesis to his current state of beating. It is a phenomenal thing. God damn it, here we go again. Um, fans of the show will know that I struggled with this word for some reason on a previous episode. Um, here we go. Let me try and get through this. I don't know why this word trips me up um, when I'm doing this podcast. Okay. Brad Dourif is a phenomenal, phenomenal, did it. Okay. He's a phenomenal thing to behold. And this is prime 
Brad Dourif era too, by the way. So at this point, he's been Chucky for two years, um, and later that year, he's going to reprise his role for uh, Child's Play 2, as well as his really underrated performance um, and underappreciated performance in the Why in the Hell is This Constantly Overlooked Exorcist 3. Now, I've never seen a bad Brad Dourif performance. Now, remember, though he's found a niche in genre movies, this is a guy that won a Golden Globe and was nominated for an Oscar for his very first movie as Billy Bibbit in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. So, please, guys, like, get, like, uh, please understand that it, it might sound like I'm kind of, like, being ironic or sarcastic, kind of like how I was talking about the, the, the main accent earlier in the podcast. Um, but I'm not. I'm not being ironic. I'm not being sarcastic when I'm talking about the performance. I'm not. I'm legitimately being sincere. Yes, the script calls for him to look and act like a lunatic. But the performance is genuine. The performance is intense. It is legitimately, legitimately worth watching. Meanwhile, uh, Warwick continues his sweaty rampage of villainy, threatening his employees of all genders with his... That, that just bonkers main slash strangely aristocratic accent. I mean, I, I gotta be honest, like, at times, it, it is so mesmerizing, it almost sounds like he's trying on a Christopher Walken impersonation. Well, in the basement, we get another kill, except this time we see a little more of the shadow that had taken out the first victim. This time, a massive wing covers the man's face. Despite the fact that the movie doesn't make any sense, the image is effective. What's not is why the townsfolk hate Hall as much as they do. I mean, the guy's just a worker like the rest of them. He doesn't look any different from them. It's not as if he's, like, black and the rest of them are white and they're racists. I mean, his hair isn't hippie length among a, among a sea of crew cuts. You know, he's not gay in a world of homophobes. You know, he's not Middle Eastern in, like, a sea of xenophobes. I mean, there's n zero reason for them to hate him, and yet the movie continues to shove this down our throats. Another thing that gets shoved down our throats is our Castle Rock reference, a classic Stephen Kingism. In the basement, the giant rat creature is stalking our newest member of the team. Again, the movie is terrible, guys, but the effects the effects for the rat monster, they're pretty dope. Like, I, I gotta say, like, really, really good effects. Um, the milky white eye... You know, it is very effective, like the way that it blinks blindly as it's, you know, surveying its prey. I, I really like the effects that were on display. Now, in a scene familiar to the, the fans of the short story, we get the moment when Warwick offers Hall the opportunity to work in the basement. Hall agrees, though it will surely cut into his sultry smoking time. The only thing more over the top than his smoking technique to inhale the smoke through his nostrils before blowing it out through his mouth is Warwick's villainous apple chewing. I'm glad that the director allows the camera to linger on him as he plows into that apple. Now, actually, the more that I think about this movie, the, the more it really is worth rewatching. It's so absurd, kind of for all the right reasons. After Warwick's mistress accidentally falls downstairs and is killed by the rat monster, we head into the basement for the cleanup. I'm not even into an hour into this movie at this point, and I'm not saying that a 6,000 word story can't be turned into a feature film. It can. Um, 
obviously, I mean, this movie was made, but I, I don't know that just, be can't, just because you can do something, you should do something. Like the character of Brogan, who wields the hose with such screaming aggression, he looks like Mac with the machine gun after Blaine dies in Predator. Spoiler alert! Um, but no matter what you do, Brogan, you're never going to be Mac. Thankfully, guys, like, we have Tucker Cleveland, who gets to, at least, before he is dispatched way too early in this movie, at least he gets to chew the scenery with Warwick. Now, Warwick continues, convinces the exterminator to head into the graveyard for an unspecified reason, and Cleveland is surprisingly dispatched right away. His head is smashed by a stone coffin. With his death, any, like... He was the reason I was watching this movie. I was so plugged in to this performance and what Brad Dourif was giving us. I'm telling you, like, I know that it sounds like I'm being sarcastic. I am not being sarcastic. It is a really good performance. It is cranked to, like, way past 10. It is so worth watching. The visual alone is worth watching. But the performance that Brad Dourif gave us, far too short within this movie what was just it was phenomenal just so 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 worth 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 watching and then he's just gone um that was of all the things in this movie and there's not a lot of shocks in this movie that was shocking not for the right reason but it was shocking the characters make it into the sub-basement and brogan quickly dies uh he discovers severed arms, he screams, tries to flee, breaks the stairs, smashes the water hose, falls into a misty pool, and is killed by the garbage monster from the trash compactor in Star Wars. In the sub-basement, they find old wine bottles, and for some reason, Warwick decides to take the dirt that had been collected on the bottles and begins to smear his face with it? Warwick and his goons try and find their way out while Hall and his love interest from Castle Rock go their own way. One of the goons makes the decision to stick his arm into a small hole. And of course, the audience isn't surprised when he starts to scream in agony. You know, when he's able to free his arm, Warwick and Davis start screaming as bits of the, as of the mutilated arm start flying. The guy's name is Davis? Like, legitimately? I didn't really put two and two together, but we have a character named Warwick and a character named Davis, and I didn't... I guess I had just mentioned Star Wars, um, but whatever. Um, Davis is then left behind by Warwick, and as Warwick tries to escape, Davis... I, I cannot believe that I got through this movie without realizing that we have a Warwick-Davis um, combined. Um, anyway, so as Warwick tries to escape, Davis comes face-to-face -face with the rat monster, which, again, like, and I'm not being sarcastic, this is a great effect. The rat monster looks great. Warwick runs and falls into a pile of bones. He's then discovered by Jane and Hall, and for some reason, a fight ensues. Hall and Warwick have a serious fight. Like, it is a highlight of this movie. It actually has some intensity. The choreography isn't much, but the physicality makes up for it. Like, they go for it. You know, but the entire time, you're just wondering why they're fighting. I guess it's because Warwick is supposed to be insane, but that's never really addressed. I mean, they fight because he's the villain, and the villain and the hero are supposed to fight, and that's it. That's the only reason. And the movie needs a victim, so Jane is stabbed by Warwick. Now for Hall, it's personal, so he chases after Warwick through the tunnels. 
Warwick encounters the giant bat creature and attacks it. Now, I was surprised by this. I figured that based on Warwick's actions throughout this movie and his descent into insanity, I, I just figured that it would be revealed that he had known about this creature all along and was sacrificing his workers to it so it would live. That is what I thought was going to happen. But no, no, I mean, that would have been an interesting twist of the movie. Instead, he just is insane because the script calls for him to be insane. He's a villain because the script calls for him to be a villain. And then he encounters the bat-like creature. And then, you know, rather than getting, you know, a reveal that he has known about this and he is the true villain because he has allowed his workers to die by the, the, the hands of this monster, I mean, he just gets a quick death. Um, and then Hall escapes. He climbs up a tunnel back into the mill. The monster follows him. And while its tail is stuck in the machine, Hall uses his trusty slingshot to hurl a Pepsi can across the room to turn it on. The monster is then dragged through the gears and it's torn to bits. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how the movie ends. The end of The Graveyard Shift. Um, not a great movie. Brad Dourif should have been the the main character it would have made for a much 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 more interesting movie um for him to just be this 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 crazy you know and you know what he is you know yes yes i am sticking with it he should have been the main character it should have just been this crazy grindhouse movie let um warwick be as insane as he is just a villain for no reason if he is dialed up to 11 and um brad duriff is dialed up to 11 you have this crazy rat monster it would do wonders for the film but the fact of the matter is we have to follow hall no one cares about this character the script doesn't even care about this character he's nothing he's just he's a, he's a non-entity in his own movie um so the, the fact that we have a movie in a parallel universe that stars Brad Dourif, because the entire time you're watching this, you just can't help but think, but what if, what if it was Brad Dourif, but it wasn't Brad Dourif? Um, as long as we have that what if, it just, it, it completely overshadows the movie because I don't need this movie to be like good, but I, I, I would like it to be more fun and more bonkers than, than it is. It's just that, that's the thing is that it's never as batshit as it as it could have been for a movie that you know stars a giant bat like of any movie that's going to be bat shit it should have been graveyard shift and then with the end of the movie we get the closing credits which i'm going to play upon the conclusion of this episode for your enjoyment uh just some of the choices that were made in this movie are are memorable to say the least so guys, we did it. We survived the graveyard shift together. Um, just over an hour. Not bad. Bite-sized. We got to talk about the Dark Tower a little bit. We got to talk about Castle Rock. Got to share some time with iTunes reviews and and uh, and some listener emails. So I think that this, this was a, a fun journey together. And uh, guys... Um, if you haven't done so already, like I said earlier, head on over to iTunes. If you like this episode, or if you've liked any episode of the Stephen King cast and you haven't done so already, head on over to, to iTunes and please leave a review. And if you just want to share your thoughts on Stephen King, then uh, then write in at stephenkingcast at yahoo.com and follow me on, on, on Twitter and Instagram and on Facebook. And then spread the word. Share it with your friends um, and, and get the word out there about Stephen King. This is the time to be a Stephen King fan. 
Um, and this is the time uh, to listen to the Stephen King cast. So, um, so if if you know someone that likes Stephen King, just throw the podcast this, uh, their way, and you know let them decide if they want to listen or not. But uh, do me a solid if you if you have a couple minutes on your hands. All right, guys. Next week we are going to continue exploring the stories within Night Shifts, and we are going to be uh, discussing the Mangler. So the short story was one of the uh, one of the areas that a lot of people were mad at me for not reviewing. Um, I don't think too many people were mad at me for not reviewing the movie adaptation of that short story. And I will have a lot to talk about next week when we talk about The Mangler. And so I'll be sure to talk about whatever the latest Stephen King news is between now and then. Maybe there will be some more Dark Tower news. Hey, maybe New Line will give us a an It trailer number two. We are around that time where we should be getting um, another trailer for It because uh, September, it's going to be here in September. And if we are so close to the Dark Tower, you know what? It is not that 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 far away. So uh, if there's any news, I will definitely share it uh, next week. Um, so guys, may you have long days and pleasant nights. And I'll see you here next week where M-O-O-N spells Stephen Kingcast. Show's over. Yeah. So hard, so juicy. Damn! The graveyard shit. Oh god, this isn't bad. This place is definitely Maybe. I'm a little prejudiced. You got a problem? I ain't got a problem. You got a problem? I ain't got a problem. What's your problem, boy? The graveyard shit. Uh, guys, it's me again. I am uh, interrupting this song right now because I am letting you know that this is 100% legitimately the closing credits to the graveyard shift as it played in movie theaters when you sat down and watched it. This is really what played as the movie concluded. This is really it. This is not manufactured. This has not been you know, reworked by YouTube fanatics or anything. This is legitimately the closing credits to a big-budget Hollywood movie in the early 90s. Sorry to interrupt. Continue enjoying the closing credits of Graveyard Shift. No problem.
dummies on horses tonight. Not damn exterminators! So don't go telling me my business. Very funny. I'm laughing my ass off. Rats. No thanks. I. No thanks. Rats. Yeah. 